This morning we are going to address ourselves to quite a lengthy passage of Scripture. It is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, all the way through Hebrews 10, verse 18. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, 18. We're going to look at it all together because it really all fits together. It's one long thought. But as you listen to these 46 verses, I want you to notice that the author is really stressing two main ideas. 46 verses, just two main ideas, two primary threads of thought that he's going to trace along with us. Namely, that Jesus is, number one, a better sacrifice than those of the Old Testament priests. And secondly, that he served in a better tabernacle than did the Old Testament priests. Those are the two main threads of thought that he is putting together here in these verses. Jesus is a better sacrifice and he served in a better tabernacle. And so as we read together, you're going to discover uh, that both of those thoughts are there, but the author doesn't sew up uh, the first one in a certain amount of verses and then move on and talk about the second one in a certain amount of verses. He's more like a weaver. He's going to take two different colors of thread, as it were, and weave them into one seamless garment. So sometimes we're going to see him with one spool of thread in his hand, namely Jesus is a better sacrifice, and sometimes he's going to have the other spool. Jesus is serving in a better tabernacle, but he's going to go back and forth and he's going to weave both of those thoughts together into one tapestry. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is just stand back and look at the tapestry as a whole, to read the whole passage. It is quite lengthy, but we must read it all if we're to get the full idea of what he's trying to say to us. But then, after that, both this morning and next Sunday, we're going to go back and look at the passage and try to pull the threads apart and separate them. We're going to try to pull the passage apart and examine these two different main lines of thinking that the author is weaving together. Namely, Jesus' better sacrifice, Jesus offered in a better tabernacle. So let's read it all together now, and you listen for those two main thoughts, and then we'll go back and try to begin pulling them apart and looking at each thread individually. Hebrews 9, 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak now in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. 
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness." Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he 
having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins... And their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now there is a lot there, and you would do well to look over it some this afternoon or this week so that you might even more clearly get in your mind what our author is saying to us in this long passage. But it is one long passage with basically just two main threads of thought. Jesus as a better sacrifice, Jesus offered in a better tabernacle. This morning we're going to just trace one of those threads, namely Jesus as a better sacrifice. What makes him so much better than the bulls and the goats and the sheep and the turtle doves that were offered in the Old Testament system? Well, as we pull apart the thread this morning, we're going to discover that there are quite a few answers in these verses These are all thoughts that we've had in previous weeks, things that we've discussed before. But today we're going to try to bring them all together and wrap them, as it were, around one spool. So the question again is, in what ways is Jesus' sacrifice better than those of the Old Testament? I've listed five of them, and I hope they will be encouraging to you. How is Jesus' sacrifice better than those of the Old Testament? Number one, because of whose blood was shed. Because of whose blood was shed. We read in chapter 9 verse 12 that it was not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood that he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. There's a clear contrast made between goats and calves and his own blood, isn't there? That's why there's the word but there. It's obvious that the author wants us to see that the way Jesus entered the holy place was a much better way because the sacrifice that Jesus brought into the holy place was a much better sacrifice. Not goats, not calves, his own blood. It's a better sacrifice because of whose blood was shed. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've pointed out a couple of reasons why Jesus' blood is so much better than goats and calves. And I want to remind you of both of those here. Why was Jesus' blood so much better than those of the goats and calves? First, because Jesus' blood was human blood. Jesus was God in the flesh. He said before Abraham was, I am, taking the I am as the Old Testament name of God upon himself. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man, the Bible teaches. And so his blood was human blood. And for that reason, it was much better than the blood of bulls and goats. Read chapter 10, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Why? Because... Those who committed the sins were not bulls and they were not goats. They were human beings who were made in the image of God and who knew God. And even though they knew God, Romans 1, they didn't honor God or give thanks. It was humans that committed the sins. And human rebellion against God must be avenged by human blood. This makes sense to us just if we think about our own 
laws in our own country. When someone commits a crime in this country, we don't lock up his dog, nor do we lock up his livestock. It's obvious to everyone who is thinking, isn't it, that human crimes have to be paid for by human beings. So those bulls and goats that we've read about in the Old Testament and that we read about here were slaughtered, yes, in a way for sins in the temple, but they weren't actually paying for anyone's sins. They were simply, chapter 10, verse 3, reminders. They were reminders that human beings are sinners. And they were reminders of our need for human atonement. Those bulls and goats were merely symbols pointing forward to a better human sacrifice. Human sin has ultimately to be atoned for by human blood. Your sin has ultimately to be atoned for by human blood. Either your blood, if you choose not to repent and turn to Christ, or it has to be paid for by someone else's blood. Someone who is without sin, but who is willing to stand in your place. And that's what Jesus, the God-man, did for us. He didn't come into the tabernacle with animal blood. He came with, chapter 9, verse 12, his own human blood and gave a sacrifice that was acceptable to God as the final true payment for your human sin and for mine. Jesus' sacrifice was better than that of the Old Testament because of whose blood it was, because it was human blood. Also, still under this first main point, it was better because of whose blood it was. Jesus' sacrifice is better than those of the Old Testament because of the love that it demonstrates. The love that it demonstrates. We've thought about this before as well, but it bears us reviewing it again. When the Old Testament priest walked up to the altar with a bound up sheep under one hand and a knife in the opposite hand, it's possible that many of them went and slaughtered that sheep with great love for humankind. It's possible that they went and laid the sheep down and cut its throat and said, oh, this is an ugly thing, but I love humankind and I'm glad to be able to serve them in this way. It's possible that many of the priests loved humankind when they did their job, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't at all necessary. This was just their day-by-day routine to slaughter sheep, sheep and goats and calves, one after the other after the other. It was their job. And the sheep who was spilling its blood all over the ground cost the priest absolutely nothing. In fact, he got gain from doing this. So surely, though there were many priests that did love the people that they served, it wasn't necessary. And surely then there were many unfaithful priests and there were probably also many faithful priests who had bad days who simply offered those offerings going through the motions as they slaughtered sheep after sheep. But we cannot say that about the sacrifice of Jesus, can we? Sacrifice of Jesus was not offered as a mere matter of course. It was no mute sheep that was being laid on the ground and cut open. It was not the blood of goats and calves that was being splattered on Jesus' garment as he made the offering for us. It was his own blood. What a difficult task he was assigned by his Father. Lay down your life for these sinners. It was inconceivable that this high priest, Jesus, could have simply been going through the motions as he laid down his own life. 
You don't lay down your own life just going through the motions. It's impossible that he could have stood there and shed his own blood just because, as our priest, it was his job. And that's what he was supposed to do. No, it was his job, and it was what he was supposed to do. But when Jesus went to that cross on that hill called Golgotha, it wasn't simply because this was his job. It was because he loves sinners so deeply. The only explanation for why a man would so freely and willingly give up his life is love. Isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples? John fifteen thirteen. he said, Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. He was preparing them, showing them, I'm not just going to the cross as an accident. I'm not going there just doing my duty. I'm going there because I love you, my friends. Jesus went to the altar, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. And he went there not because it was his daily routine, but because he loves us. And how deep the Father's love for us as well. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Jesus' sacrifice was immeasurably greater than the blood of bulls and goats because of the love it demonstrates both from Father and Son to sinful human beings. Jesus' blood was greater than those Old Testament sacrifices because, number one, of whose blood it was. Secondly, it was greater than the Old Testament sacrifices because of what it cleansed. Jesus' sacrifice was better because of what it cleansed. Read chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 again. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I hope you noticed in the way that I read that, that the words flesh and conscience here are being set up in this uh, sentence as opposites. The flesh here is not used the way it's normally used in the New Testament. Normally in the New Testament, when we read the word uh, flesh, it's referring to the sinful tendencies of our human heart, our sinful desires, our fleshly desires. But that's not how it's used here. Here, flesh in verse 13 is opposed to conscience in verse 14. He's showing us in the way he sets up the sentence that he's meaning the opposite with flesh and conscience. So flesh here refers to the body, and conscience refers to what's inside your soul. Flesh is outward, conscience is inward. So the author is telling us two different things here. He's telling us there is a cleansing for the flesh, for the body, but there's also a cleansing for the conscience. And they're quite different. Think it out with me. First, notice again in verse 13 that it is true It is true that the offerings of the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, those offerings did have a cleansing effect. Let's not throw them out completely as as worthless. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. They were very important sacrifices. They had a cleansing effect. Verse 13, they cleansed the flesh. They made one outwardly clean. He's not talking about clean outwardly like you took a bath today. That's not what he means. What he means is, by offering various 
offerings and undergoing various ceremonies like the ones he speaks about in verse 10 that related to food and drink and various washings. By doing these offerings and by undergoing these various ceremonies, any Israelite, no matter what he had done, could come and he could gain public forgiveness for his sins. He could gain public forgiveness for his sins. Now, there may be repercussions in the government system, but he could come to the temple, offer the appropriate sacrifice, and gain public forgiveness. Having made one of these Old Testament sacrifices or having had it made on your behalf made you outwardly clean, or as the Old Testament refers to it, ceremonially clean. And what that meant was you could go to the temple again, you could participate in worship, you could be involved in public life. All those things were taken away from you for certain kinds of sins. You couldn't worship. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't be involved in public life. But now if you made the sacrifices, you could do all of those things again without fear of being ostracized. This outward cleansing, as I thought about it this week, is, is somewhat like our modern practice of having your record expunged. It's not exactly the same, but I think it's a helpful comparison. If you commit a crime in our culture... Sometimes the judge may order you to do a certain amount of community service, and if you complete that community service, he will expunge your record. In other words, he will take that crime out of your record, and when someone looks at your record for a job application or if you're applying to to work with children and so on, that will no longer appear on your rap sheet. So if you do the community service, if you do what he asks you to do, you're now outwardly clean. Your past crimes will not prevent you from getting a job. They won't prevent you from participating in politics or working with children and so on. And so in a very good and a very happy sense, you are now a free man. Now that is what the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer offered the Israelites. Ceremonial, outward, public forgiveness and cleansing. A clean slate, as it were, in the community. Both the religious community and the social community. This is a great thing that God gave them. But here is the shortfall. If you commit a crime, say you snatch an old lady's purse and you do the community service, you can be made outwardly clean. You do what the judge tells you to do. He expunges your record. You regain your status as an upstanding citizen. It's no longer on your account and it feels wonderful. But one thing public outward cleansing expunging cannot do is it cannot cleanse your conscience the judge cannot expunge your record from your conscience and neither could the old testament sacrifices that was the predicament in verse 9 both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience They could make him perfect religiously. They could restore his status in the community, but they could not take away the guilt in his heart. Now he could worship freely. Now he could hold public office. Now he was no longer ostracized from the community. But unless he looked beyond those outward temporal sacrifices to the Lamb of God who has promised to take away the sins of the world, which those sacrifices symbolized, his conscience remained unclean. His heart remained burdened with his guilt, even though outwardly he was clean. Perhaps that's where some of you are this morning. Outwardly, all is well. But inside, your heart feels like a heavy stone. Because though you're religious, though you've tried to do the right things, though you've tried to offer some things to God, you've joined the church perhaps, you've become outwardly clean in the eyes of all your 
fellows at work or in the church. All those things that some of you may know very well can be true of you without having a clean conscience. And if you are burdened with guilt this morning from the past, you need to hear the latter half of our author's point in verses 13 and 14. If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. In other words, if if mere goat's blood can make you outwardly clean, take away your rap sheet in the community, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience? Why is the blood of Jesus better than that of bulls and goats? Because of what it cleanses. Jesus' blood doesn't simply fix your reputation, but it does cleanse your conscience. So, those of you who are weighed down with guilt need to remember that God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice as the full payment for your crimes against Him. And if you would only believe on Him, you would no longer have to feel guilty. Jesus' blood cleanses our conscience. It's better than the Old Testament sacrifices because of what it cleanses. Thirdly, Jesus' sacrifice is better than those of the Old Testament because of how often it was needed. Because of how often it was needed. Now first notice how often the Old Testament sacrifices were needed. Namely, year after year. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. For the law... Since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. In other words, because the blood of bulls and goats were mere symbols pointing to the human sacrifice that was needed, that blood had no real power to forgive. And since it had no real power to forgive, it was simply serving year by year, verse 3, as a reminder that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. And since it was a mere reminder, and since the blood of bulls and goats had no power to forgive, They had to be offered year by year by year. Because people needed reminding and they needed symbols year by year by year. But Jesus, chapter 9, verse 25, did not need to offer himself often. Otherwise, verse 26, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once. At the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Because Jesus offered human blood fit to atone for human sin, because Jesus offered that true sacrifice that all the other ones were pointing to, God accepted his gift once and for all. Since the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient, Once and for all, it did not need, like the blood of bulls and goats, to be offered continually year by year. Jesus had to die only once for your sins. So important a thought that is that it's mentioned five times in these two chapters. Chapter 9, verse 12 says he entered the holy place once. 
chapter 9, verse 26 says, Once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sin. Chapter 9, verse 28, he was offered once to bear the sins of many. Chapter 10, verse 12, he offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Chapter 10, verse 14, by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Because his blood was the real thing and not just a symbol, because it was human blood well suited to pay for human sin, because it was sinless blood able to be shed in the place of someone else, and because of his capacity as God made flesh, Jesus could pay for all the sins at one time. Jesus only had to die once for all time. That's why at the cross in John 19.30, he could say just very simply, it is finished. One Greek word, it is finished. I only have to do this once and there's now nothing more to do for sinners. The priests do not need to continue offering their sacrifices. You do not to continue do not need to continue engaging and trying to offer your sacrifices to the Lord. God does not need us to add to what Jesus has done. Not by our trying harder, not by our doing better, not by our going through the water, not by our giving more. None of that. Our salvation has been paid in full. We have been sanctified, chapter 10, verse 10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus sacrifices better, thirdly, because of how often it needed to be offered. Only once. Fourthly, Jesus sacrifices better than those of the Old Testament because of how long the effect lasts. Because of how long the effect lasts. What did the blood of bulls and goats purchased for the Old Testament worshiper. Ceremonial cleansing, a wonderful thing. Outward forgiveness, a return to respectability. All those things were were plush amenities for these people who were ostracized in their community when they committed certain sins. So the blood of bulls and goats was very important and it purchased a lot for the people. But I want you to notice that all the things it purchased, outward cleansing, ceremonial cleansing, Forgiveness in the community, respectability in the community, all those things, as wonderful as they were, were only temporary things. In other words, you can have all of that and it won't matter when you die. You cannot take outward cleansing or public respectability with you beyond the grave. So the Old Testament sacrifices, symbols that they were, we've already said, could not break past the outward layer of the flesh and actually go inside and cleanse the conscience. But now we're learning also that they could never pierce the realm of the here and now and do the worshiper any good in eternity. The blood of bulls and goats offered cleansing that was merely temporal, merely outward, and it also offered cleansing that was merely temporary couldn't last forever. That's why they had to do it again and again and again. But not so, as we've been saying with Jesus. He offered, chapter 10, verse 12, one sacrifice for all time. His blood, chapter 9, verse 15, has bought for us an eternal inheritance. 
What a privilege to know that in Jesus we are fit not merely to enter into the earthly tabernacle, but to walk with Jesus into heaven itself. Chapter 9, verse 24. What a blessed assurance to understand that in Jesus the blessings of forgiveness and hope will never, ever wear off. What joy to be certain that in Jesus God will not remember our sins forever. Chapter 10, verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The effect of Jesus' death for us lasts forever. And therefore... It is a better sacrifice. Fifthly, finally, Jesus offered a better sacrifice than those of the Old Testament because of where he offered it. Because of where he offered it. Now, a number of you, I'm sure, have been to the Creation Museum in northern Kentucky and been amazed at that place. It's a wonderful place. I'm so thankful that it's here in our city. For me, as I went through, I've been through three times, I think, Each time, the most striking spot in the museum for me has been the flood exhibit. There's a room in there where they have a cutaway model of what Noah's Ark must have looked like. And they they show you uh, ways that Noah and his sons would have been able to construct such an amazing and huge boat without modern machinery. It's an amazing thing. That room has really helped Genesis 6 make better sense to me. But when I walked away from that room, I recognized each time I was there that as awe-inspiring as that model ark is, I had only seen a replica. And if I had only seen a replica, how much greater then must the real thing be? That's what we're to realize about the Old Testament tabernacle. As the priests served year by year in the tabernacle, they were working, as it were, in an exhibit hall. We saw this in chapter 8, verse 5 last week. The tabernacle was built by Moses and then the temple after that that was built by Solomon. Both of these things were a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, he says. The tabernacle was just a model of what exists in heaven. Just a replica of the throne room of heaven. A good replica, a wonderful replica, but merely a replica. The design of the tabernacle in its shape and in the fact that there was a holy of holies where God resided, all that was to point people to what heaven looks like. And in the sacrifices that were offered there, all of that was to point people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The fact that there was one entry into the tabernacle was to remind worshipers that there is only one way to God through a blood sacrifice. For us, we know, through Jesus. The whole thing was one big symbol. So as awe-inspiring as the tabernacle and later the temple must have been, they were both simply reminders to all who entered that something far bigger and far better exists in heaven. So the priests did their daily routine in the replica, in the museum, in the exhibit hall, in the miniature version of God's throne room. And that was fitting that they worked in the replica because the offerings they made were also merely replicas. We've already said that. Shadows and copies of the great human sacrifice that was to come. But when that human came, when the Son of God came, 
chapter 9, verse 24, He did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus' sacrifice was better because of where He made it. He didn't finish His work in an earthly tabernacle and then go home. He took His blood right into heaven, it says, to appear in the presence of God for us. So as we study Christ, we realize that He was not the curator of a mere museum. Rather, the museum was about Him. He didn't sprinkle His blood on an altar of gold, but He sprinkled it in heaven in front of the judgment seat of God where we all must someday stand. Christ's body was not like the sacrifices of the Old Testament burned up and discarded outside of Jerusalem. No. After laying down His life on earth, He took His nail-pierced hands and His thorn-pocked face and His scourged, furrowed back and his high priestly prayers, and he entered right into the throne room of heaven itself, chapter 9, verse 24 says. So our offering this day doesn't rest on an altar in Jerusalem. It's not sitting in an ash heap outside Jerusalem. Our offering right now is before the throne of God above. In the true tabernacle, chapter 8, which the Lord pitched and not man. So I don't have to worry that there's no longer a temple in Jerusalem where sacrifices can be made for me. And I don't have to be overly excited if that place ever gets rebuilt. It's simply an exhibit hall. But Jesus is the real thing. Jesus has taken His blood into the true tabernacle, into heaven for me. So that, as we sing, when Satan tempts me to despair, I don't have to take him to an exhibit hall. I don't have to point to a museum exhibit that merely reenacts the sacrifices for my sins. No, when Satan tempts me to despair, upward I look and see him there in heaven itself who made an end to all my sins and whoever lives and pleads for me. Because Jesus' blood was brought and remains in the throne room of heaven itself, it is a far better sacrifice than anything that could have been made in the earthly replica. So, in Jesus, in His sacrifice, I have sinless human blood to pay for my human sin. In Jesus' sacrifice, I have undeniable evidence that God the Father loves me. In Jesus' sacrifice, I have undeniable evidence that Jesus the Son loves me. In Jesus' sacrifice, I have not merely a restoration of my outward respectability, but now I have a truly clean conscience. In Jesus' sacrifice, I have one sacrifice for all of my sins, to which I need add nothing. In Jesus' sacrifice, I have the promise not simply of my best life now, but of, chapter 9, verse 15, an eternal inheritance. And in Jesus' sacrifice, I have not a mere exhibit, but the real thing, a living, breathing Savior sitting at the right hand of God interceding for me. Now, if I have all that, what else do I need? If I have all these things in Jesus, then chapter 10, verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
That's the answer to a lot of our religious shortcomings and frustrations and fears, isn't it? There is no longer any offering for sin. I don't have to fix myself. I don't have to keep coming year by year doing more and more to ensure that I'm forgiven. And neither do you. For chapter 10, verse 14, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Do you like to be sanctified, set apart for God? forgiven of your sins for all time, then you simply need to remember, verse 18, that there is no longer any offering for sin. And you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.